love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. Or so the song goes. Numerous books, songs, and films, too many to count, have been written about love. Even the Bible refers to love as the greatest of these. But is it really the greatest thing? It's not so much to define love as it is to reveal the proper place that love should have in each of our lives. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Is there something greater than love? This week, Charles Tapp digs into one of the most popular verses in the Bible to reveal the greatest thing God has put into the life of every believer. As he shares his message, the greatest thing. There is probably no more popular theme in our world today which dominates every aspect of our culture than that of this thing that we call love. Just think about it for a moment. Many of the most popular songs that have been written, not only in this age, but probably in any age, all are centered around this theme that we call love. But this is not limited to music. For many of the popular books that have been written and the films that have been produced, all too many of them center around this thing that we call love and have love as its primary theme. You see, for whatever the reason, love has always been and will probably always be an extremely popular theme. As the songwriter said years ago, what the world needs now is what? Love, sweet love. You're showing your age now. This is the only thing that there's just too little of. Even within the the confines of, of God's holy word, we see the theme of love taking center stage. From the giving of the law to Moses in the Old Testament, to the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, the theme of love, in a very real way, helps to serve as a template on how we should love God, ourselves, and our brothers and sisters. For when you look at God's law, the Ten Commandments, you see the first four focusing on how we need to love God. And then the last six focus on our relationship with one another and how we should love each other. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus tells us that we're to love others even as we love ourselves. But then he goes to one extreme. He says, you should also love your enemies. But probably the greatest exposition in God's word that has as its primary theme of love is probably Paul's epistle to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what many refer to as the love chapter. For it is in this letter to the believers at Corinth that the apostle Paul refers to love in the context of being the greatest of these. But is Paul in his assessment correct? In other words, is love 
the greatest thing. I will be willing to even go as far as to ask you, is love even the main theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Now, I already know how your minds work. You're going past it. That's the love chapter. Of course, that's the primary theme of 1 Corinthians 13. We've been taught that all our lives. Some have even referred to 1 Corinthians 13 as the masterpiece on love. But here's the thing. In my humble opinion, although love may be a theme in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not totally convinced yet that love is the main thing. And I need you to stay with me this morning as we follow this line of reasoning. Well, if it's not love, then what is it? Well, as you begin to read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13, you begin to gain some greater insight as to what that theme might be. Turn there with me this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we look at verses 1 to verse 3. Look at what God's Word has to say. Though I speak with what? The tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass, or what? Clanging cymbals. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, Paul says, I am nothing. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, again, Paul says, it profits me nothing. Do you see what Paul is doing here? Rather than beginning this exposition, this treatise on love by defining what love is, Paul takes the approach of explaining love, whatever that is, in the context of it being the driving force behind everything you and I do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, please don't miss this today. For he says, if I possess the ability to be able to speak in all of these different languages, but it's not motivated by love, Paul says, I'm just a tinkling cymbal or a ringing gong. In other words, he's saying, I'm simply a distraction. And then he goes on to say, listen, if I am able to understand all prophecy so that I could predict the future, but it's not coming from a foundation of love, then I'm nothing. If I can figure out all the mysteries that have confounded men throughout the ages, but have not love, I'm wasting my time. And then he goes on to say, listen, if you've got such great faith, that your faith could literally change the physical landscape and move a mountain that was once here to now over here, but you're not motivated by love, he says, it profits you nothing. He goes on to say, you can be a minimalist, sell all your goods, give the money to, your, to the poor. You can be a martyr and allow your body to be burned for the cause of God. Listen. 
But if love is not what motivated that, he says, it profits nothing. And although love appears to be the primary theme in 1 Corinthians 13, I believe Paul's purpose is not so much to define love as it is to reveal the proper place that love should have in each of our lives. But it's not until you get to verse 4 and onward that Paul even begins to try to describe what he feels love really is. I'm not going to take time and read it now, but in verses 4 to 7, Paul gives this list. You've seen it. It's not exhaustive, but it's his list. And he says love is like this. He says love is what? Kind. Love is not jealous or envious. Love doesn't brag and love doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Love is not overly sensitive. Listen, when your motivation is love, when somebody says something that harms you, not physically, but just with words, you don't get on the internet and try to fight back with tweets and Facebook messages. Paul says that if you are truly loving, you're not that sensitive to those kinds of things. He says, love does not rejoice in injustice. Listen, but it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in what ought to be. And then he says, love perseveres. In other words, love gives you the ability not only to handle and to put up with difficult situations, but love also helps you to put up with difficult people. Don't look anywhere. Don't look to the right, to the left. Let's look straight ahead. Each time I read this portion of 1 Corinthians 13, I can't help but wonder how different life would be if our lives were a true reflection of this description that Paul has given here in 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I wonder if that's what the songwriter Hal David had in mind when he penned those words as he was going on the Long Island Railroad from Long Island to New York City when he said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And I believe in our history, our country's history, and even in the world's history, what is needed now more than anything else is the power of love. Who says amen to that today? Look at what Martin Luther King, former civil rights leader, slain civil rights leader, had to say as it relates to the power of this thing called love. He says, returning violence for violence multiplies what? Violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. But then he says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only, he says, love can do that. Both Paul as well as Dr. King have served to provide eloquent testimony to the power of love and to the difference that love can make in our hearts and in our lives. But here's the question that still remains unanswered, and that is this. 
Why does Paul present love in this matter? Why not just begin by explaining and defining what love is? Simply love is this or love is that instead of telling us what the ramifications are for those who really don't have love. As I look for this answer, I discovered that it's not found in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So as I looked at it, 1 Corinthians 13 is just a continuation of Paul's thoughts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is addressing the church, the believers at Corinth over this issue, listen, of spiritual gifts. And by spiritual gifts, I'm talking about those special abilities that God gives his believers to use to help carry out his mission of expanding and maturing the kingdom of God. Each of these gifts are given by the Spirit, and he goes on to say that it is the Spirit who determines who receives what gift, and that's important. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us this list. It's not exhaustive in nature because he also talks about spiritual gifts in other places like Ephesians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to formulate this list, this list of abilities that the Spirit of God gives to each individual who accepts Christ. Number one, he says, there's the gift of wisdom. There's the gift of knowledge, and that's important. Then there's the gift of faith. And all of us, if we're children of God, have to already have a certain degree of faith. But have you ever noticed there are some people whose faith is large in no matter what circumstance they find themselves in? Some people are given an extra amount of faith. That is a spiritual gift. Healing, he says, is one of those gifts. Being able to perform miracles is one of those gifts. Now listen, here's the key. Everyone does not receive the same gift. But Paul says the Spirit decides who receives what gift. And then he says the gift of prophecy, being able to foretell the future, that's a spiritual gift. Then he says tongues, the ability to speak in a different language is also a spiritual gift. But here's the thing. Here's the challenge the believers at Corinth were faced with. There were some of them who believed that they were somehow special because of the spiritual giftedness in which they possessed. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, Paul begins to counter this ideology by putting it into context. Because there were those who believed that because they possessed a certain gift, that that elevated them, and others who did not possess that particular gift, but possessed another gift, then that kind of reduced them. So Paul uses the human body as a metaphor to help understand what spiritual gifts are and their value as well. And as he begins to do so, 
He wants to show us two things. Number one, that whenever we have a spiritual gift, that means we have responsibility. But the second thing he wants to reveal here, when you have a spiritual gift, that reveals to you how dependent you are upon one another. So he uses the human body and he gives the example of, you know, if you're a foot, you have value because you're a foot. But the hand also has value. But the hand doesn't have more value than the foot. The hand needs the foot and the foot needs the hand. Does that make sense? Because I can see what I want over here. My hand wants to get it. But if my feet don't cooperate, then I'm not going to get it. But he's also trying to show this. And that is that in the spiritual giftedness, all of us are dependent upon one another. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Greatest Thing. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Hi, this is Pastor Charles Tapp with Simple Truths for Life. As many of you know, nearly two years ago, I responded to God's call to leave Sligo Church as a senior pastor to serve in another area of ministry. But on Saturday, February the 25th, I'll be returning to the Sligo pulpit with a very timely message titled, A Crisis of Faith. You know, for the past several years, our world has encountered one major crisis after another with no apparent reprieve in sight. But there's another crisis on the horizon and is taking place in the hearts of many believers. It is the greatest crisis of all, a crisis of faith. For many of us, the recent events in our world have shaken our faith to its very core. But God has a word of hope for his people. So join us on Saturday, February the 25th at 11 a.m. at Sligo Church. This is Simple Truths for Life. And it's been said, love is the greatest thing. But is it really? Charles Tapp continues to dig into one of the most popular verses in the Bible to reveal the greatest thing God has put into the life of every believer. As he concludes his message, the greatest thing. But in order to truly understand Paul's main emphasis here, you've got to remember that 1 Corinthians 12 continues on into 1 Corinthians 13. So when you read 1 Corinthians 13, remember now, he's still talking about spiritual giftedness. So when he says that if I possess the ability to speak with tongues, which is a gift of the Spirit, but have not love, which is not a gift. Love is not a gift of the Spirit. He says love is a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, love is a byproduct of the work that the Spirit of God does in my life. It's one of the traits that makes me more into the image of Christ. So just because you have gifts, in essence he's saying that's not what really makes you important. What matters most than your spiritual giftedness is the spiritual fruit that you have in your life. 
You see, spiritual gifts are the ability God gives us to accomplish his work. The spiritual fruit is the work God does in us so that we can resemble him most. So in essence, my value and the true evidence that I am truly in Christ is not my gifts. I don't care what gift it is. What is true evidence of my relationship with God is the fruit that is produced in my life. Love, joy, peace, and all the rest. But the problem the believers in Corinth have, had rather, is the same problem we're having today. For we live in a world that is enamored with not character, not spiritual fruit. We're all caught up into giftedness. And we give people position not based on their character, listen, but based on their talents and based on their ability. That's what the world does. The world will give you a position. It will give you an office regardless of whether you have the fruit of the Spirit or not. All they want to know is can you do the job. But that doesn't work for the church of God. Paul said it takes more than your giftedness it takes evidence that God is really working in your life, and that's not giftedness, that is fruitfulness. It is the same thing Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. What fruit? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and all the rest. But please understand here, Paul is not minimizing the importance of gifts. For gifts, they have their place. But it's rather he's saying that the fruit of the Spirit is more important than that of the gifts of the Spirit, regardless of how marvelous in nature those gifts may be. In other words, Paul is saying the work God does in me is more important than the work I do for him. God is not as concerned with giftedness, which he gives, as opposed to the fruitfulness, which is the maturing of God's work in our lives. And whenever we have gifts, listen, but don't have God working in our lives, it builds confusion and competition. And that is exactly what was taking place here in the church at Corinth. You had preachers who were preaching without the spirit of love, and they were simply making noise. You had people who were praying, but they had no love for God or for the people, and they were just giving a speech. Then you have those who were giving, but they were not given because they loved people. They gave so that the focus could be upon them. And Paul says, that's just a ceremony. He puts it better in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. He says, what they really had was not godliness. They have a form of godliness, but there's no evidence of the power of the Spirit of God in their lives. So when Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 
13 by saying, but the greatest of these is love. Listen, the point I believe he's making, I don't think he's really saying that the greatest of these is really love. As much as he is saying, but the greatest of these is the work God produces in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what's greater, not giftedness, but fruitfulness. And he closes off this chapter by saying, listen, you can be gifted all you want, but there's going to come a time when prophecy will no longer be needed. Amen? I can't wait until that time. There's going to come a time when this special wisdom and knowledge will no longer be needed. There will come a time when the spiritual giftedness of tongues will no longer be needed. But he says, but when it comes to love, don't miss this, which is a byproduct of what the Spirit of God does in you and me, that is going to last throughout eternity. Because the only thing you and I will be able to take into heaven when we meet Jesus is not our giftedness, but our fruitfulness. So when Paul says love, what I believe he's simply saying is, you know, that byproduct of the work that God is doing in our lives. So my goal is not to focus on my giftedness, because that's not even about me. That's given to me by God to help build up the community of Christ. Paul says, what's most important, what is the greatest thing, is the work that the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. So in other words, Paul says toward the end of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, grow up. Stop acting like children. He says, now you don't get it. You're looking through a glass dimly. But one day you will get it because you will see Jesus face to face. And then you will know that there's no need for giftedness. The only thing that we will need at that point would be the character of Christ. And that's my desire today. I'm not so concerned about giftedness. My main concern is fruitfulness. My concern is allowing God's word to produce the love of God in my heart. And I love the word that is used here for love is the word agape, which means love that is demonstrated for others. It's not the love that is talked about, but it's the love that is demonstrated. I want to be able to have that fruit of love and joy and gentleness. I want to be able to have the spirit of patience and the spirit of self-control. Anybody need self-control? Some of you already on your New Year's resolution list, you put, I want to cut back on this, I want to stop doing that, and you tried to use your willpower to do it. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. So the more you and I get into his word, and as Jesus said, are connected as the vine is to the branch, we won't have to try to produce or you know, have creation of, 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 of patience. We will be able to bear the fruit of patience in our lives. And here's what I believe, and this may sound somewhat strange. One of the main problems, challenges we have as Christians today, listen to me, we are trying to be Christians without the word of God in our lives. It is through the word of God 
that his spirit becomes a part of our lives, thereby producing the fruit that we desire to have. We're trying to be fruitful without spending time in the word of God. We're so caught up in our giftedness, we'll spend all kinds of times perfecting our gifts, and that's fine. But Paul made it clear, you can be as gifted as they come, but if you don't have evidence that God's spirit is working within you, you're just making noise, you're just a distraction to what's really important. So I challenge all of us today, as I said last week, with the one thing, if we make the one thing, searching for God with all of our hearts, the main thing, then we'll have the greatest thing, which is the Spirit of God producing fruit, the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. It is not only the greatest thing, it is the only thing we will take from this life to the next. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Greatest Thing. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Until we begin to understand and have a love for the things that God loves, we will never fully be able to understand our ability to love God. Next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp begins a new series of messages titled, The Power of the Serve. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.